Nation, welcome back to the All Kinds of Weather Forecast. Probably the most somber post-victory podcast that we've ever done in our now 2.25-year history of this pod. Gators did get a win on Saturday night. They did beat South Florida. Virtually nothing else went right along the way, but they did get the win. That is the most important thing. Of course, a lot of question marks remain about this team and how the rest of the season is going to go after a all-around dreadful performance by Florida on both sides of the ball. We will discuss all of that momentarily. I am your host, Neil Shulman. You can follow me on Twitter at All Kinds Weather, on Instagram at All Kinds Weather Blog, on Facebook and YouTube under the name In All Kinds of Weather. Also with me today, Chris Yanes, my co-host. You can follow him on Twitter at Mr. Chris Bits. Co-host Dustin Smith, also with us today. You can follow him on Twitter at I-A-K-O-W. Dustin, they're coming on in just a second. Before we bring them on, though, as always, quick word about our sponsors slash partners. We are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send underprivileged Gator fans to the swamp. For those of y'all that are new listeners, the Gator Good Foundation collects donations from fans and uses them to bring someone to his or her first ever Florida Gator football game. Or in the case of this year, got a couple of Gator fans we're going to bring to the swamp. Not going to tell y'all too much more about that quite yet. Announcement is going to be dropped on the Gator Good Foundation's social handles in a couple of days. But we pay for flights, rental cars, hotels, game tickets, gear, food, swag, and just generally make sure that they have the swamp experience of a lifetime. As I just alluded to, we have closed our applications for this season, but if you believe you or someone you know is worthy of the honor for 2023, please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. Donations, as always, are very much appreciated, though not expected, but if you would like to donate to our cause and are able to, please go to our website, GatorGoodFoundation.com, and click on the donate button. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are three great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One is it is a veteran-owned business can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving the business. Two, it's run by a UF alum and diehard Gator fan. And three, I could personally vouch for them because they did all the new and all kinds of weather branding, the new logo, the new website, the new mobile site. Uh, They also did the Gator Good Foundation's website. You can check that out, GatorGoodFoundation.com. They've done all sorts of marketing stuff for Gator Collective. They did their new website. They did their new logo. They do their email marketing campaigns, and they also work with the Charleston Gator Club. So their stuff is everywhere. Just check out In All Kinds of Weathers Branding, Gator Good Foundation's website, or Gator Collective website or logo to see what they can do. To view their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. With that all taken care of, introduce Chris and Dustin at the top. Y'all know who they are. Y'all know what happened last night. Y'all know the mood. Y'all know the vibes. Guys, uh, we're, we're recording this some 16-ish hours after the game ended. We've had a, somewhat of a chance to to watch some tape and 
you know, read some stats over. What do we think? Well, I think that I sit here relieved on Sunday afternoon uh, that we got that win because it was an, an about as ugly of a win as you could get against a team that is not a good football team. Um, so I'm relieved and for, feel fortunate that we're two and one right now, but yikes. Um, I'm sure we're going to get into it, but there's a lot to unpack here. There's a lot of issues with this team still. The last two weeks have been, uh, we've come down to earth. We've come down to earth and reality is set in where we are at with, with the program right now and with the work that Billy Napier has ahead of them. So if anybody thought this was going to be a quick fix, this was going to be an easy fix. We got a high from beating a top 10 team the first week of the year in a dramatic fashion. This is going to take time for us to get back to the level that we expect Florida football to be at. And I think that fans need to exercise a little bit of patience. I was, uh, the one thing I will say is, I do think there's a lot of valid criticisms going around today and, and we'll talk about them more, but I think that there are some overreactions happening from the fan base a little bit, whether that is, you know, about coach Napier, uh, about even ARs play. I think that the fan base has overreacted slightly from the last two weeks. And I think that while there are valid criticisms, we have to realize that this is a roster that is still devoid of a lot of t- elite talent and does not have depth. And we saw that last night, I really believe with the loss of Ventrell Miller, once again, in the middle of the field. So overall relieved to be here two and one this morning. Glad we, I live in Tampa. So I'm, I'm really glad that I'm not going to have to walk around town to all of my USF friends. Um, we got the win. So, you know, it's good to get that living here, but, We've, we've got a lot of work to do. So I want to point out something very quickly in response to that last point about walking around in Tampa with your USF friends. Um, from where I was, what, where I left the stadium last night, USF's band and their alumni, the parents of the players, and just, just general USF fans that made the trip were extraordinarily happy. Chanting USF, 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 and let's go Bulls, let's go Bulls, cheering, whooping it up, hollering, you would have thought they won the game. And, and Florida fans getting pissed in response, a lot of horns down gestures, a lot of scoreboard, stuff like that. If not for, for if not for those two things, if not for the horns down and scoreboard, you would never know who won the game. Florida's fans were about 10,000 times less happy than South Florida fans were. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, Neil, um, this was definitely a wake-up call. I know that um, all of us had had picked Florida to be at least eight and four. I think the way the math the math came out um, with the percentages, it may have been a little under that. But honestly, man, it, it's it's definitely a wake-up call. Anthony Richardson is clearly not the quarterback that we thought he was. Um, and I know that uh, I, I definitely tend to go big picture, but – I think we're in good hands and, and, and I could, I could go on and on about kind of the, the difficulties and what we saw and we'll, we'll get into some of the details of the game. But if you think about it, this is a game that in Mullins terms, we probably would have, we probably would be a, a, on the losing end. Just two stats I want to pull out. Um, South Florida led in first downs at 23 first downs to Florida 17. And then of course, USF also led the game in yards. Uh, USF had, 402 yards and Florida 300 and 
29 yards. Um, of course, that was contorted by the fact that Florida had a pick six. Big time shout out to Jalen Kimber. But those numbers don't matter. What matters is the scoreboard. We came out with a victory, 31-28. Obviously, we thought Florida should have done a lot better. But here we are. We're sitting at uh, two and one, and we got a big time matchup against Tennessee next week. Yeah, uh, 329 yards is, is against South Florida is not going to translate to a very respectable stat total against Tennessee. Especially if you think about the fact that last year we had double the yardage. I know we just right. talked that Dan Mullen wouldn't have won this game, and this is not a pro Dan Mullen thing at all. But I'm just saying, last year. In Tampa, we put up over almost 700 yards of offense with practically the, the same roster. I mean, it, it, it's not – there wasn't a whole lot of difference other than the, the location the game was played in the time. Yeah, I mean, do we miss Jacob Copeland that much and Emory Jones that much? I mean, Jacob Copeland's playing well at Maryland right now. So, yeah, I, mean, I mean, you know, you can't you can't deny that potentially, you know, he might not have been a good locker room fit anymore in that program. But he still was a talent, and we lost a, a top 100 talent at that. Uh, so I think that just we'll, – we'll, I'm sure we'll get into this and all now, but I think that we have to just take a good hard look at where the roster is. Dustin pointed out some bright spots, but there's, there's a lot of work to do. So Yeah, man, this is a go. team that BYU destroyed. Okay, BYU have 573 – total yards of offense, BYU won 50 to 21. I didn't think this game needed a, a pregame analysis like that, but here we are almost losing to a team that got destroyed by a borderline top 25 team. Yeah. Well, and here's, here is, I mean, because, you know, Chris and I are on the outreach team of Gator Collective. We we do sing the praises of Billy Napier and Dustin, too. I mean, we are all very high on him in the future. But here, and, and I'll, I will get to a second one in a moment, but here was my first real major bone to pick with Billy Napier. He said in his postgame press conference, South Florida is a really good team. No, man, they're not. That's absolutely unequivocally verifiably demonstrably false now in his defense he's got to say that for recruiting purposes he can't just go into the postgame pressure and say yeah man we played like poopy no you can't do that so obviously he's going to come out and and try to spin it in a positive sense and also in his favor i tweeted this out and got some flack from people who don't really possess great reading comprehension skills but nonetheless cost of black from uh some some people about how south florida is comprised of a lot of transfers from power five schools i mean they've got three former clemson tigers on their team they've got a couple of former north carolina tar heels they've got a couple of former minnesota golden gophers uh you know clyde pinder actually is on their roster a guy that if you follow recruiting florida was at one point heavily after so it's not like they're the complete joke that they once were they have under jeff scott really attacked the transfer portal and done well to at least raise the level of talent somewhat but that still does not explain how the yardage was even comparable how Florida did not outgain them by 250 yards at least. How Florida only managed 31 points. How Florida probably goes to overtime with this team if they can just snap the ball back correctly and then place it down for their kicker correctly. 
you know, we, we keep saying we're going to get to the analysis in a minute. Well, all right, let, let's do it. Let's get to it. So I guess we got to start on offense. Got to start with the guy that we had all predicted as at least a, a legitimate Heisman contender. I don't think Dustin might have predicted him to win, but I don't think Chris and I predicted him to win the Heisman. But I think no, I did not. You did not predict. Okay. I I did. I did elaborate what would have to happen and okay. some sort of dream scenario. And I thought that he would definitely be if I my the statement I made. I'll just say this: the statement I made was that if Florida was to go 10 and 2 or 11 and 1 it would be because Anthony Richardson would would have a Heisman type season. And that's the thing like I as part of another talking point I was going to get to later it probably is better to say now believe it or not Florida still despite what we just watched everything that we set out to achieve before the season started is still on the table. The only thing, the only thing that's died is the Anthony Richardson Heisman campaign. That's gone. That's done. That's out the window. There is nothing on God's green earth that can save that. He can, he can throw for 600 yards each of his next five games. He will not be in the Heisman contention, but everything else is still on the table for Florida. If they move forward and fix a lot of things, the problem is there are so many things to fix in such drastic fashions that I don't know that it's really reasonable to, pre- to predict that to happen. So we'll start with the guy that, we had anointed as a Heisman hopeful for the season. I think it's fair to say he didn't look good again. Richardson just did not look good. And that is a major problem for a team that I think we all agreed before the season was going to have to have great quarterback play if they were going to be successful this year. Yeah, Neil, I'll just say this real quick. Anthony Richardson possesses amazing talent. Okay. The guy can throw the ball. The guy can obviously run He's been limited due to a uh, a lingering ankle issue. I'll call it an issue. It's clearly, according to Coach Napier, not an injury. But Anthony Richardson is somebody, and, and, and this may be a blessing in disguise because with the talent that we have coming back and some of the recruits that, that we'll, we'll get on the roster for 2023, we're going to need Anthony Richardson. So – what what's in my mind? What's more important than him not being in Heisman contention? Because that's kind of sad. The good, the potential silver lining is he might come back next year, and he'll he'll probably have to come back. He's definitely not a first round draft pick. So the good thing about that is if Anthony Richardson comes back, I mean Napier Napier has to be worse than Will Muschamp in order to not be able to develop Anthony Richardson into somebody who can be a star quarterback uh, next year. So Anthony Richardson, 10 for 18, 112 yards. That gives you an average of 6.2 yards per throw. That's not going to cut it. But the number that that continues after three games continues to irk me to my core is Anthony Richardson has zero touchdown passes. I don't remember the last time a Gator quarterback had zero touch pa- touchdown passes through the first three games, even going back to, to the, to the Will Muschamp era, our, our quarterback at least got touchdown passes against Charleston Southern or, or Eastern Tennessee state Northwest, uh, sisters of the poor, whoever we played in 2012, you know, like we got some touchdown passes, but, but we're not able to, and on top of that, um, Anthony Richardson, he got some runs on the ground. He had a 16 yard run. That was pretty nice. 
but we he's got to be more effective. He's got to be more efficient. We need Anthony Richardson to play well for this season to be anything close to what we expected preseason. Yeah, well, to be completely honest, Dustin, he does have one touchdown pass this year. The problem was it was to the other team, and that lost us the Kentucky game. But what's more upsetting to me than even the raw stats is he doesn't look like he's comfortable. He doesn't look like he knows what he's doing. He doesn't look like the quarterback we saw in flashes last year, like against FSU, against LSU, um, against South Florida last year. He doesn't look like the quarterback we saw against Utah two weeks ago. I don't know if, if that injury scare, as he put it, against Kentucky is still in his head. I don't know if something else got into his head. I don't know if he's legitimately physically injured and is just not saying anything. Maybe he's got, I don't know, maybe he broke a finger on his throwing hand and is just not telling him. I don't know. But clearly there's something that's happened between that Utah game and now that is affecting him in a negative way. And if he doesn't fix it or overcome it, Florida's not going to have a choice. They got to go with someone else. Because he's not only not helping win us games the way we said he was going to have to, he's tr- he's actively attempting to lose them for us. And that just can't happen. Guys, I'm going to ask you a question. Think about the Florida State game last year. That guy played with almost zero cartilage at some places in his leg. Okay. He had to repair his leg after that game yeah. in order to be healthy this year. He won us that game. He yep. played very well in that game. Okay, we don't win the Florida State game without Anthony Richardson last year. It's not an injury. It's not. like even, Injuries happen. It's the SEC. You're going to get hit. You're going to get pounded. You're going to tweak stuff. You can play through it. Guys do it every single week in this league. It is not an injury. The regression from Anthony Richardson from last year to this year is perplexing. It, I mean, it really does beg the question, is it system right now? Is he not comfortable with the system being implemented by Billy Napier? Does Billy Napier need to start? I, I'm kind of surprised the way he's running him because if I expected him to almost treat him like Levi Lewis last year, I haven't seen that at all. And I think he's going to have to in order to see him succeed. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm wondering if he's trying to really make him a better passer so we can develop him. That's fine, but it's not working right now. The moment and it, Maybe the staff is trying to preserve his health. That's the only argument maybe you could make but because Jack Miller's not there. Well, if Jack Miller's available against Tennessee, then we need to see full bore Anthony Richardson. Like last night in that in the game, in the slide play, he honestly should have kept running and just bulldozed the two guys, a la the way he did it last year in the USF game. He's 240 pounds. Those guys are like almost half his size. He could have easily bulldozed over them and either kept running or gained some yards after contact. He played, I mean, I don't know. I I mean, I don't know what's going on. That to me tells me the staff, I remember the staff had talked about things like sliding in the off season, you know, in in training camp. And then now he's sort of starting to play like it. So I I think it's the coaches telling him this is the way they want him to play. And it's very evident in the play calling. The The design runs are not there right now. They got to get him going. And I think the way you get him going in a game is you give him those design runs that are meant for him. Bring back the speed option. The speed option in this offense would be, I think, pretty lethal, especially with the running backs that we have. So 
I, I don't think it's an injury with Anthony Richardson. He looks fine when he's out there. It's nothing that's ho- uh, hobbling him or in, not keeping him from being good in the pocket. He's making bad throws that are off time. He is now starting to not make the correct reads. He's not taking off when he should be taking off when the defense is giving him the ability to do it. He's regressed. And I, and I, and I, I'm just, I, to me, I think it is, he's uncomfortable right now with what the coaches are telling him with the scheme he's being given. It's not necessarily a bad scheme, maybe long-term for the program or for the personnel they're going to be bringing in. But if you want to win games this year and show that you can at least, you know, and I've heard it from the staff, put your players in a position to win a game. They have to start doing it. And, and right now they're just not with him. It's very obvious to me. So I don't think it's an injury. I, I think Anthony Richardson played hurt multiple times last year, and it didn't make a difference in his ability to play. He threw touchdown passes in all of those games. Yes, he threw interceptions, but he still was extremely explosive. I, I, I'm kind of done with that excuse. I, I don't think that's what it is. Personally, well, I don't. I, I I understand. It's a good point you make. the The counter is that I don't I don't know if it's a new injury to a finger on his throwing hand, which would explain some of his really really inaccurate passes. It would not explain some of his bad reads, some of his bad decisions, some of his just complete inability to to read time, you know, with, with his receivers and and anticipating DBs jumping the routes. But I, I mean, I'm dumbfounded. So if you're saying it's not an injury, and I and I do for the record believe you, and I, I do agree with you that it is most likely not an injury. It is in all likelihood a mental issue with him. I don't know how you fix that. I don't know what the answer is, but I mean the Gators are running out of time. You, you, this was supposed to be the game that you were going to fix it in. Well, well, speaking of time, Beal, I, I now that I've calmed down a little bit. Because you know, you know how passionate I am about the quarterback position. I think time is really what he needs. This is his third start into the Billy Napier era. It's a brand new offense, brand new scheme, and it looks like he just has to, for, lot, for lack of a, a better phrase, he has to learn the playbook. I felt that in his first uh, two to three drives, I felt that he did a pretty solid job. I mean that. I mean that pass. To Trent Whittemore was phenomenal. Um, went 33 yards, if I'm not mistaken. Then, of course, he had another one that was great to uh, Pearsall. That that was that was a stunning throw, and and he's he's capable of making phenomenal throws. And I think we've been belaboring that point that he's he's capable. But the challenge is the gap between what you're capable of and what you're actually doing. And I and I think Billy Napier said it perfectly. It's execution from top to bottom. Quarterback, running back, running backs are doing good, but quarterback, wide receiver, running back in the past game, uh, we need to execute better. If we don't execute better, then we're going to see more of this. And while this type of performance caused Florida to win by three against South Florida, it's going to cause us to lose by 20 to Tennessee. We're going to lose by 80 to Georgia. We have to get better. Justin, let me ask you a question. Uh, since I know you, you really love you know the quarterback position and whatnot, do you think that the last scheme was better for him than the current one? Most certainly. Because I mean, if you look at the tape last year, he mismade some phenomenal throws against this exact same defense. Yeah. No, no, I think 
I think part of it is is time. I think Richardson had a lot more time in, in Mullen's system. Mullen's system is a very quarterback-friendly system, um, and the uh, the reads are easy in, in, in Mullen's system. Now, if you look at – Mullen would call his spread offense a, a, a pro system, but what Napier is running is it's foundationally very similar – to what the 49ers run. It is by definition, a pro system, um, especially with all the motions, the, the zone concepts, um, the RPOs, all that stuff like that. It's very, it's, it's very um, akin to what you see on Sunday on Sundays. So the big thing that I want to see with, with Anthony Richardson is as he gets time, can he get better? Can he make big plays consistently throughout the game against Utah? He got the job done. He he rose to the occasion in that fourth quarter, and it seems in the last two games, um, of course against Kentucky and USF, he was barely serviceable. I mean that pick that pick six was inexcusable against any other team that would have cost Florida the game. Not pick six. I'm sorry, uh, the interception. It would have cost Florida the game. The one in the end zone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're not many teams in the country are going to give up the, that golden opportunity on a, a bad snap. Um, and then on top of that, the, it will, you know, I'll just go ahead and say it. I know, I know we're breaking down the game. Um, not only did on that final drive, not only did USF have a bad snap that brought the ball back to, from maybe a 35 yarder to a 50 yard field goal, but on top of that, on the field goal itself, the snap was fine, but the holder could not get the ball down, and the kicker ended up kicking a ball that was essentially sideways. And I mean, we were gifted it. that game. <laughs> we were gifted that game. Yeah. It took a pick six for Florida to score enough points to beat South Florida. So really, Anthony Richardson's offense only scored 24 points against south florida a team that byu put 50 on yeah no i mean there's there's no defense of what we saw from richardson last night and really that there's no defense of what we saw from the entire team and speaking of i mean richardson is what he is he's got to get better he's got to get better fast he's got to get better by leaps and bounds fast or else this is going to be a pretty miserable season for florida um i do remain high in the future like i said but that is not going to help make this season any better but there are more pieces to the puzzle than just the qb couple of bright spots on a night there, there really weren't many of them i like that i saw from our running game guys i think we do have something there especially the big one by montreal johnson also trevor etn again did not get a ton of carries but again did enough with the carries that he got to show me that yeah he he could be special he could be something that florida could use to win some games this year so i mean guys what'd you think of what we saw from the offensive line minus tarquin obviously and in his absence we saw some some reserves step in and do well and then from the running backs themselves what did we make of that running game yeah, the, the offensive line is the clear bright spot of this offense. It is the hope that we have moving forward this season to have success. Neil, you mentioned earlier your biggest gripe, uh, one of your big bones to pick with Napier early on is it was his comment post game. My biggest gripe is the fact that ETN 
and Montreal Johnson are not getting 15 or more carries a game each. It's criminal that the man, uh, Montreal Johnson, had six carries for 103 yards. He averaged over 17 yards a carry. If you took out his touchdown run, he still would average almost 10 yards a carry. He needs to be fed the ball. He's clearly the best running back on the team. Even when teams are loading the box at, with eight, nine guys, he is still making a guy miss. They're actually implementing blocking concepts to free him up against one-on-one with a corner, and he's making the corner miss nine out of ten times. He, Montreal Johnson and 18 are the only two running backs to do it. No disrespect to Naquan Wright. I think there are ways we can utilize him in these offense, especially in the pass-catching area, which is obviously an area we're struggling in right now. He's a great pass-catching back. That's where he needs to be used. But right now, those two are the workhorses, and we need to ride the hot hand in every single game moving forward. ETN and Montreal Johnson should be getting 15-plus carries a game. That is our ticket to moving the football. And then once we do that, hopefully it really does open up the offense for those play-action plays, you know, for for a better passing attack for Anthony Richardson and these receivers that are clearly needing to get freed up into space. Um, It it is a – I'm very impressed with this run game. It is by far probably one of the, it has the potential to be one of the best running offenses we've seen in a long time here at Florida, but Napier has to lean in on it. He has to lean in on the fact that he has a quarterback that is a lethal runner. He has to lean in on the fact that he has two really good running backs and they need to become the workhorses and the focal points of the offense behind a very stout offensive line, an offensive line that is still performing very well with reserves and shout out to Austin Barber, who has played extremely well now in two games, essentially as the starter. So I mean that definitely bodes well for for the future because I you know he's a guy that's going to play at least two three more years in this program at that tackle position. So kudos to him. He's played great. This offensive line has played great. We need to take advantage of the fact that we have such a strong offensive line this year. And I just don't think we're take we're, we're we're doing it fully yet with the with the play calling and with the use of personnel and our running backs. So it's a bright spot. These are two big bright spots on our team, and we have to start taking advantage of it if we have any hope of beating Tennessee next weekend and if we have any hope of getting to that eight-win eight threshold that we talked about going into the season. They have to be used. Yeah, big shout-out to the offensive line. But a guy that I really want to give a big shout-out to is Saibo. Osiris Torrance has been a game changer for the Gators. I know preseason we mentioned our MVP. Um, if I had the opportunity to change it, uh, I, I would go with with Osiris Torrance. Play after play, you, you, you look at the tape and you see Montreal Johnson uh, breaking off the 62-yard touchdown run. But what springs that? It is a massive block by Osiris Torrance. You look at a lot of Trevor Etienne's why do I want to pronounce it like that? You look at Trevor Etienne's, some of his major runs. What's the common denominator? Osiris Torrance making massive, massive blocks and leading the way on that offensive line. So big shout out to Big Sabo up front. Yeah, I mean, he was great. He, I think he's been one of the only guys so far this year that has been everything he was hyped up to be. I mean, him... I don't even want to say ETN was because he wasn't hyped up to be much of anything that this year he was in the future, but this year it was supposed to be Lorenzo Lingard, who's still MIA, Naquan Wright, who's like Chris mentioned, he's got his purpose in this offense, but not as an every down back. And Montreal Johnson, I think is another one that you can say has been what he was hyped up to be. 
And maybe you can say Dexter and Cox in the defense, but Saibo has been holding down his end of the bargain. He definitely deserves that shout out from Dustin. Another one I would give would be to Ethan White, who had a couple of nasty blocks last night. He did not play in on every drive of the second half for some reason, but in the first half, he was just throwing guys around legally. Of course, you know, no, no penalties, but he was, he was lethal. He was just clearing guys out of the way. He was opening up holes for Johnson and for ETN to just run through with ease. He looked to be a guy that Florida can lean on in the running game to run the ball behind him and get some nice yards there. So that pretty much takes care of the offense. We'll come back and talk about them a little bit more when we give our grades. But now, guys, the defense was a mess. It, it was it was just awful. And that's that's being nice. You know, keep it respectful, but keep it real is the mantra of the pod. It's never personal. Um, I mean, because I like to think we do a good job with this show. We 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 pick up new listeners and a new audience every show. So for those new listeners, we got to repeat this. It's never personal. We're talking about 18 to 22 year old kids. It's, you know, in a lot of cases, we don't know them. In some cases, we do know them and we're very good friends with them. We've had some of them on the pod even, but you know, within the context of, of this game that we're talking about, this not life and death game, but within that context, guys, it was just awful. So I, don't, I don't even know where to start it. I, I mean, I tweeted this out. I, I thought that the team just took a time machine back to 2021 because this looked like the worst of the Grantham times. It was a completely undisciplined defense. Guys were pointing. They were yelling at each other. I was... I was 20 rows off the field last night. So I, I heard it this time. I wasn't just looking across the field uh, or across the stands onto the field down 70, 80 rows of them. I was 20 rows off the field and right behind their bench. I heard them. They're screaming at each other, pointing at each other, looking around. What am I supposed to do? Looking at coaches. There were multiple screaming matches between players and coaches, not necessarily, you know, just to get on each other's nerves because they didn't know what they were doing because they were panicked and because they were fearing that the ball was going to get snapped within three seconds and they didn't know their assignments. That can't happen. It just cannot happen. And as a result, I'm going to assume a couple of guys knew what they were doing because I don't want to assume that all 11 guys on the field didn't know their assignments, but it looked like on a given play, seven, eight, sometimes nine different guys didn't know what their assignments were. And thus they created their own assignments and that doesn't work. You can't decide that you're going to be a QB spy because that's what you want to do. If your job is to blitz or your job is to play man coverage, or your job is just to follow the tight end and and just hone in on him and wherever he goes, you shadow him. You can't decide to be a QB spy. If that's not your assignment, if that's not your job, we had guys doing that all night long, multiple guys. Most of the guys on the defense did not know what they were doing. You have guys who are coming up to the right gap. You have guy, even Brenton Cox, who I thought was the star of the defense last night, aside from maybe Kimber with that one play. Probably Cox had the next best game. You have him coming up, choosing the right gap, stepping into it. And then he just stands there. Like he decides, wait, am I supposed to be blitzing? Am I supposed to be rushing? As he's already in the process of doing it. As he chooses the right gap, he doesn't fill it. He just stands there 
as if he's going to change his mind mid-play and then transition into a QB spy assignment. You can't do that. You just cannot do that. Patrick Tony was pulling his hair out last night. I would shock me if he's bald within three weeks. How could, how can he not be? That can't happen. It just can't. Yeah. Um, you know, I was sitting, I, my seats are a little bit farther up where Neil's are as row 80, but I, I, I swear I could hear Patrick Tony yelling at his players from 80 rows up in the field. Like, I mean, he, there was a timeout, I think, toward the end of the game, and he just laid into Trey Dean. Now, no disrespect to Trey Dean. Love the guy. Does a lot of great work in the community. He's a great, he is a good person for this program. I don't believe he should be starting on the field right now. He's a complete defensive liability. He misses tackles. He misses assignments. He doesn't align correctly. And he plays probably one of the most pivotal roles in the field at safety. And sometimes comes up and plays nickel. He should not be, he should not be starting. Just plain and simple. He just plays extremely undisciplined football. And almost every time last night, I saw a missed tackle. I saw a missed assignment. It was always him. And anytime I saw Patrick Tony laying into somebody on the sideline or in a timeout, it was toward him. He, he's had a tough journey, I think, at Florida. He's been you know, put in different positions that I think have put him in a spot where he has never been able to find a home. And that's unfair to him. But at the end of the day, it's a results-oriented game. And he's not producing. And it's hurting the defense. And I think the, this staff has got to reshuffle some of the personnel a little bit on this defense. And I think Tony is going to take a look at the film. And I know he's going to see it because he is a very good defense coordinator as far as scheming up, calling plays. He's very he's a tactician and, and, and teaching technique. I think he's going to get this fixed long-term, but we need to see some personnel changes in the interim. Otherwise, we're going to see some of the same things happen over and over again in future SEC matchups who are absolutely going to exploit it worse than what we saw Saturday night. So the other thing, I think we talked about it early in the show, is the big loss of Ventron Miller, right? Ventron Miller is the quarterback of this defense, and not having him on the field last night was very evident at times. He is able to get guys aligned. They they talk about these these 3D and 4D football players on the team. He's a 4D football player. He knows where guys are supposed to be aligned. He recognizes concepts. He recognizes formations on the offensive side of the ball. Not having him on the field last night was a major loss for this defense. I don't think it's a coincidence. We saw a major regression in defensive play without him on the field. I don't know the extent of his injury. If he is even able to go next week, we need him on the field. And then if he has to rest against Eastern Washington, fine. But we need him ready for SEC play. Otherwise, we're going to have some ugly performances against teams that definitely can run the football on us. Next week against Tennessee, I think the secondary is going to be tested a little bit, which, to be honest, I think is maybe our bright spot on the defense right now. Uh, shout out to Jalen Kimber. I think Jalen Kimber is quarterback, too, behind Jason Marshall. I've seen it now in multiple games. He's made some great plays. The one Kentucky receiver that scored on him in that game, I mean, it was just a great catch. It was He was in perfect position to make the stop defensively. The guy just made a snag. Other than that, he has played 
lights out for this defense. And he's playing with a, a club right now for a hand. And the other, I don't know if anybody's actually seen it. He's like got his whole hand wrapped right now. He still made an incredible break on the ball, read the quarterback size, picked it off. I mean, this is a former top 100 athlete that was recruited to play for the University of Georgia. So that's the kind of caliber of athlete he is. I think he, I think he is probably our second best corner. Should definitely be getting uh, at this point the starting role in, uh, opposite of Jason Marshall. The secondary is going to be tested next week. Overall, I the one thing I will say that I am impressed with the, with the defense too. Outside of the secondary, is the freshmen have really stepped up. Big Dez is stepping up inside the interior. I think he's starting to play more. Uh, consecutive plays in a row so we're starting to get a little bit more out of him which is great to see because we're definitely we need that in the interior side of the ball you know but we need guys to get aligned we need guys to understand their assignment and not go rogue out there on the field because it is not going to work anymore it's not going to work and they need to start listening to coach tony and all those other coaches in the defensive staff uh we're going to have a really rude awakening on on saturday at neyland stadium it's not going to work because it already has not worked because Kentucky and now South Florida have exploited that. But you mentioned Des Watson. want to point out something that maybe not everybody else was able to hear. Towards the end of the third quarter, running play, Brenton Cox does a good job on this play also. But big Des Watson steps up, picks up the running back, and just slams him to the ground. Then that's the end of the, that's the, end of the quarter. Everyone comes off the field. It's time to sing We Are the Boys and Tom Petty. As he's walking to the sideline, I heard him yelling at, I think it was, I think it was a teammate. It might've been a grad assistant, but in, in the general direction of the sideline, he was like, Hey man, I had enough of this shit. We have, we have something there. We have, a, we have a leader there aside from maybe uh, Jervon Dexter, who we all knew was a leader. We have the right attitude on this defense. He knows that, that what happened in the first three quarters was unacceptable. And I'm sure he thinks that what happened in the fourth quarter was unacceptable. But it's not like all is lost on this defense. It was a horrid performance against South Florida overall. But there were some bright spots to lean on. Brenton Cox had a good second half. First half, he did kind of look lost, but he stepped up in the second half made some plays. He did his assignments well, for the most part, when I was able to see um, on, on the tape. Desmond Watsman, I, I mean, I think if he loses another 15 pounds, could be a monster run stuffer uh, with little added agility there in that middle. And he's got the right attitude ready. The secondary, as Chris mentioned, already a bright spot for Florida. Could get a little bit better, maybe. I mean, maybe you'd like to see a little bit more out of the safeties helping out the corners. But for the most part, I think the secondary will be fine. The front seven has a lot of work to go, but I think there are a couple of pieces there that you can build on moving forward. Yeah, I guess I want to jump over and talk about the secondary. I thought overall the secondary played phenomenal. I mean, you look at the performance that that uh, Bohannon had. He was 12 of 28, 116 yards, average 4.1 yards per, per throw, no touchdowns, two interceptions. I think... Overall, he didn't have the best game, but I think a lot of that could be contributed to the, to the, the phenomenal play by our secondary. I think that Patrick Tony and Corey Raymond have done a phenomenal job with that group. And the highlight play, and we'll get to it in, in our, uh, our, our end of the, the pod segment, um, 
but Jalen Kimber's pick six was the difference. And he didn't just go and make a phenomenal catch, but he was in position. I think for all for all that for all the for all the complaint that we have about Florida's defensive line and linebackers being out of their rush lanes or out of position at different times. I thought our secondary was in position. They were in the right spot. Um, I admittedly need to go back and, and, and watch the game from beginning to end uh, one more time. But one thing I, I didn't recall seeing upon first inspection is there wasn't any major busts in coverage, which we couldn't say the the first two games. There was a there was a there was a, a few busts in the first two games that that um cost us a little bit. But man, we played great. We improved. I mean, I know that South Florida isn't the best uh, team throwing the ball, but I, I thought they were in position. I thought they did the, what they were coached to do. They seem to at points, at, at most points, I should say. I will also point out that if Jerry Bohannon throws that ball a little bit more accurately, a little bit more uh, towards maybe a little bit behind the receiver a little bit as opposed to throwing and leading him a little bit too much, that ball is probably caught. It's definitely not picked off, and it's definitely not returned for a touchdown. So Kimber was in the right spot. I give him that. If the ball was thrown more accurately, Kimber probably brings him down for a five, six, seven-yard gain or so. He doesn't pick that ball off. That was a South Florida mistake. That was South Florida beating themselves, not Florida making a tremendous play. Now, Kimber could have dropped the ball. He made a nice play to catch it. We saw Avery Helm drop a pick. I mean, Kimber could have dropped that. It would. It was. It was a much harder ball to catch for him than the ball to Avery Helm was. So I credit him with that. He made that play and he took it to the house. That was. That was great. But. He was only in position to do that because of a bad throw by Jerry Bohannon. And without that, guys, Florida probably loses the game. And that's going to be the theme you're about to hear. We're going to start our, our, our final word segment momentarily, but that's going to be a theme. Florida didn't win this game. South Florida lost it with bad snaps, with that bad interception there. And, I mean, really, Florida's got – more work to do moving forward than I think is really reasonable to ask of any college football team consisting of 18 to 22 year olds in the span of one week. I know that college football is a week to week thing, but we'll talk about this more on the preview pod for Tennessee in a couple of days, but is, is it, is it fair to, to question Florida's ability to get to seven wins right now, guys? Well, no, it's not. I mean, I, I think that you look at the schedule going forward, we're about to play our third top 20 team in four weeks. That's incredibly difficult. Yeah, I mean, the fact that we split now, I'm looking at this team that was, we see it now, and the fact that we're two and one, it's kind of amazing. So, but no, it's not. I mean, you look at LSU played very well last night in the fourth quarter, outscored Mississippi State by 21 points. That's a game right now where Vegas probably favors LSU. We're now 10-point underdogs on the road to Tennessee. We're definitely not going to be favorites to beat Georgia. We're definitely not going to be favorites to beat AM. So that if you go by that, I mean, that's four losses right there on the one that we already have. That's five. So that would require us to then win out against Eastern Washington, Missouri, 
South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and Florida State. And that's not even a given right now. Florida State's undefeated. We play that game on the road a Friday night. So, no, it's it's definitely not uh, out of the question to, to question whether we, we're going to go seven and five. I will say, though, if you go back, though, into the billionaire tenure, his first year at Louisiana, he did go six and six with a bull win. So ended up seven and six. And then the next year, that's when he made his dramatic rise up to 10 wins. And I, and I kind of want to this week maybe do a little bit more of a deeper dive into what happened in that first year, what the games looked like as the season went on. I understand the competition is not the same. It's a different conference. But that being said, a lot of what Billy Napier said in his opening press conference was how he said, this is going to take time. I might do some things in recruiting. You may not like at first, but then it's going to get better that we can kind of start to see some data points that that was the truth. And, I, and I'm wondering too, just with the way he is operating and building, he's not concerned about winning in his first year, kind of like Dan Mullen was. Dan Mullen came in, he got the not, he got the 10 wins, the New Year's Six Bowl in the first year, but at what cost? Three years later, we're looking for a new head coach. We don't want to be in that position again. So I'm kind of curious just to see if, if this is more – we need to trust the process. We need to trust his plan. The first season might not look great. And this is just the, the last two weeks have kind of amplified that a little bit. And we need to just look for incremental progress throughout the season. And right now, the only progress that I'm seeing is that the freshmen are playing very well, which is a good thing. But outside of that, you know, we've seen regression from our quarterback. We've seen regression from our defense. We need to start seeing in the games ahead the coaches make adjustments to their personnel decisions, their play calling, some of the schemes they're implementing in the game plan. Otherwise, you know, I think fans will have a right to question what year two and three looks like. It, unless the recruiting is extremely stellar, which it could be. It really could be. It's trending in that direction. But, you know, there are some questions after the next two weeks. Um, but I, I, I do. I, I just think the fans listening it need to exercise some caution. It's patience. And, and just let this play out. We're three games into a new tenure. There's still a lot to, 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 to see, a lot more data points to be had to determine where this is going to go. So, For sure. No, I mean, you're absolutely right in that we hired Billy Napier to be a long-term fix, and we hired him to win games more in year four, year five, seven, ten, hopefully even beyond that. But that also doesn't mean that we should just issue this year and just forego it and say it doesn't matter because we do have talent this year we did talk about even beside anthony richardson let's let's even throw him out of the equation for now we still have a gift in osiris torrance on the offensive line we still have a guy in jason marshall that he'll he'll be back next year but then he's gone so we're not going to have him for very much longer ventrell miller as maybe not the most naturally talented linebacker we've ever had but certainly a very intelligent one and one that makes the entire team around him significantly better we have pieces that can win this year so i i am on board i completely agree that it is more about what happens down the road but this year's team still has a lot to accomplish still in a place where it can accomplish those things in theory, it's not likely after what I saw the last two weeks, but in theory, Florida wins their next nine games, 
they're going to the net. They're going to the CFP. Well, I mean, the SD championship will have to win that too, probably. But Florida goes 12 and one. They will go to the CFP. That's still on the table. So granted, we're probably going to have to recalibrate expectations after the next loss, which could come this week to Tennessee. But even then, we'll talk about, okay, so the CFP is gone. Now we got to shoot for nine and three. And that probably gets us to a New Year's Six Bowl, given the fact that we've already beaten the top 15 team in Utah. The fact that nine and three likely means we beat another ranked opponent, whether that's AM or Georgia. I don't know. Maybe FSU gets in there. I mean, they have a fairly easy schedule coming up uh, next few weeks, at least. So there's still a lot to be played for this season. And I don't want to just throw that out the window, which is why I brought up the fact that I think seven to five seems like a stretch right now, given the way that the Gators have played the last couple of weeks. So, I mean, th- this game was horrifying. I'll just be very blunt about it, but we've got to talk about it at least one more time in a direct fashion with our final word segment. So, I mean, guys, y'all know the drill by now. We're going to give our play of the game, player of the game. Then we're going to grade offense, defense, special teams, and coaching. There is one play I have that we have not talked about yet that I am going to go all in on in one of these segments. If y'all follow me on Twitter, you know exactly what it is. Anyway, we'll start with the play of the game. Dustin, uh, after you, what was what was your play of the game? Yeah, guys, I've been pretty quiet, to be honest. This is certainly a, a game that, that we're all excited to put to bed and, and move forward with a big-time matchup at Tennessee this coming weekend. As far as our play of the game, I, I already mentioned it, but I'm going to have to go with the Jalen Kimber interception return for a touchdown. That was massive. The six points and then, of course, the ensuing extra point made seven. That's seven points right there was the difference in the game. We don't make that interception. There's no guarantee that we pull out that game. In fact, man, what a, what an amazing play, incredible catch. Um I know that you know this this podcast is of course a uh, an audio experience for our listeners, but if you have the chance, go ahead and watch the replay of of that of that interception. An amazing catch by Jalen Kimber and an even better return for a touchdown. Um, I know the entire swamp went wild when, when that took place. Yeah, it was, it was definitely loud for that one. Um, another moment though, that it was really loud and this will be my play of the game was Montreal Johnson's 62 yard touchdown run. It gave us a lead 10 to seven for me. I think it's kind of the play of the game because it just, it gets into the overarching theme of, we should be a run-first team. We have two very talented backs that are game-changers. We haven't had game-changer running backs like that in a long time that could take the ball at any moment and go to the end zone. So for me, the play of the game is Montreal Johnson's 62-yard touchdown run in the first half to give us the 10-7 lead. Yeah, I I figured that Dustin was going to go with the one he went with. I would not have expected that play of Montreal Johnson's to be Chris's though looking back it does make sense I'm going to go with the last play of the game the fact that South Florida could not correctly execute a simple field goal which they practice undoubtedly lots of times throughout the week every week for months at a time 
Couldn't do it when it mattered most. And that's why Florida won the game in regulation. If not for that, that 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 game goes to overtime. Even, even with the botched hold, that kick still almost went in. That that's a good kicker that got. He he made a 50 yarder earlier in the game against us. Neil, can I ask you a question? What's up? Do you think Florida had any shot at winning that game if it went to overtime? I think USF would have won more likely than not. I think Florida would have had maybe a 40% chance to win in overtime just because, because I, from what I saw the first 60 minutes, I did not trust Anthony Richardson. I agree. I, I said in the stands, I actually was, I was talking to my wife and somebody behind us said, this game can't go to overtime because if it does, I don't like our chances. The way we, we I mean, the play call, if we, unless we ran the ball every play, but even Correct. still the defense wasn't getting stops. Uh, they were, we were getting gashed. So and you plan a short field like that. I don't think it would have benefited us. You know, what's amazing. It's a, it's amazing how far we've come in the last two weeks, because if I would have asked you that question after the Utah game, how do you think Florida would fare in an overtime situation? You would have told me, and I, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but you would have told me we would be the best overtime team in the country after the plays that Anthony made against Utah. But now we look at Anthony, who was, again, I'm going to say it again, one trick pony, had a one incredible game and hasn't put it together since. I mean, I honestly, if you'd asked me that question, I would have laughed in your face and said, there's no situation in which Florida and South Florida go to overtime to begin with. But what, I mean, one trick pony, he's had four starts. He's played very well in one of them and not well at all in the other three. Well, at what point do you say that the one good performance, which is what you've always expected out of him. But at what, at what point do you say that the one performance is the outlier? And that's actually the anomaly and not really what you're going to get out of him. Yeah. I mean, what was your percentage at that point? Chance? I, for, I said for beating for, South Florida? Yes. I said 97, I believe. Wow. We laughed this game off. Yeah. We didn't think of it. Right. We didn't think Florida had a chance to lose, let alone go to. I mean, what a course correction. Yeah, man, how far we've come, how far we've we've regressed, how far we've gone from what, what we said was a good starting point. We have things to work on after Utah, but this was a good starting point. This is a good start. How far backwards we have gone from that point. Anyway, player of the game. Who is it? Neil, I'm going to have to go with Jalen Kimber. Um, I know obviously Botrell Johnson would be a great choice too, but I'm going to, I'm going to reserve that for the guy going after me, but I'm going to have to go with Jalen Kimber. That pick six was a super, it was a, 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 a super play and really made the difference. Well, Dustin, I appreciate you leaving my guy. Uh, yes, indeed. Montrell Johnson is my player of the game. Right now, he's maybe my team MVP. He's just been incredible through three weeks of play. Uh, I think he's probably – I mean, you could make a case for ETN being the, the best running back on the team. I think Montreal Johnson's maybe a little bit more developed farther along as a runner. Uh, but Montreal Johnson is my player of the game. Anytime you average 17 yards a carry, I mean, that that's just incredible. So I, I want to see this guy take over a game. Like I really want to see – 
him get that 15, 20 carries a game and just take over it. Because I think that it, it, it would alleviate so many problems on the team, right? If we had a, if we had a consistent run game that could move the ball methodically down the field, you then would win the time of possession game, which we haven't won yet this season. That's part of the keys to Billy Napier's success at Louisiana was winning the time of possession game, winning the field position game, winning the turnover battle. You know, we won the turnover battle last night, you know, but we've got to start winning the time of possession. Having a guy like Montreal Johnson could help do that. And it would take a lot of pressure off our defense to have to stay on the field for the amounts of time they are, and they won't be as tired at the end of game. So Montreal Johnson's, you know, not only the player of the game, but the key to our season. We won the turnover battle last night, but not for a lack of trying to lose it with Richardson's two horrible interceptions. Not even like they were slightly off target and they got tipped high in the air and intercepted. Not like it was there was a ridiculous one-handed snag on an interception in the back of the end zone. No, they were two terrible throws by Richardson. So checked into that interception. I don't know if you guys saw it, but he actually they asked Napier about that interception at the end zone because I, I about lost it. I, there's no reason you shouldn't have ran it four straight times when we were five yards from the end zone in that situation. So I'm glad they asked the question, but apparently Richardson checked into that play. It was supposed to be a run. Right. So and also to Richardson's credit, he did also check into the play where Johnson took off on that huge run. So correct. it give it, it giveth and it taketh, but yeah, fair enough, but nonetheless, yes. So my player of the game is going to be the guy blocking for these running backs. We're mentioning. Saibo, Osiris Torrance, opening up holes left and right. This guy is a first-round talent. He probably should have objectively gone to the NFL because whenever you have a guy that's projected to go in the first round, at worst in the second round as a junior, the right thing to do is tell him, go. Go make your money. He chose to come back and play one more year of college for Florida, and he, as I said earlier, has been one of the few guys on this Florida team that's been all he's been advertised to be. He was tremendous. He was he was flattening multiple South Florida defenders on some plays. So he was the guy that is making these holes for the guys to run through, ETN Johnson, and on occasion, Aquan Wright. He actually had a nice block on one of the few runs that Richardson had last night. That was very good. Uh, I, think, I think he was like a half pancake where he knocks the guy backwards, and he, he almost stumbles, but another – teammate i guess is in the way and keeps him from from falling flat on his back so it's not technically a pancake but he he knocked him off his off his footing and did a good job of opening up a hole so so osiris torrance is, is easily my player of the game and now we get to the part of the podcast that's going to be really really ugly the grades dustin we'll we'll let you go first go offense defense special teams coaching We'll save the overall grades for last. We'll each go and do ours one at a time, but give your four grades for offense, defense, special teams, and coaching. Yeah, well, super quick. I want to give an honorable mention for player of the game to Trevez Johnson on his interception, which was a great catch and really changed the game. I'm not sure if we would have pulled out the victory if it wasn't for that as as well. So I give him that honorable mention. As far as the grades for offense, I got to give Florida a, a, a D minus. It's putrid. Um, I mean, running the ball was was excellent. I thought we, we ran the ball. Um, but Anthony Richardson did not play the game that, that we expected him to play. And it's all about perspective. I know I say that every year, 
But if Florida had put this kind of performance offensively if uh, against Tennessee or against Kentucky or against a, an SEC opponent, it would it'd be probably it, the offense would grade would probably be closer to B for me. But because the opponent was was South Florida and we know how terrible that defense is, I don't think I could go any higher than a D. As far as defense, the secondary played great, but the we were we were like Swiss cheese in 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 stopping the run. So I also gotta go with the D for defense. Um no 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 uh, coincidence right there. D for defense. Um sounds like Sesame Street on here. Anyhow, special teams. I gotta go with the B. Now Florida had some great luck on special teams. I mean, how lucky can you get uh, when your opponent can't even figure out how to get the snap down? Um, you know, it's it's more difficult than than uh, than you realize. I, I I've had the opportunity to uh, to catch a, a snap on field goal and put it down, and you know, it's something hard hard for me. I, I I didn't have that job for a long time. But yeah, coaching. There were some inexcusable uh, miscues on this. I have no idea why there was even an option for Anthony Richardson to throw the ball in the end zone with the matchup that we're getting. I felt that we could have punched it in regardless of what that box looked like because of how well our offensive line was blocking. And there was a few other, a few other items that I'm not going to get into because of time, but uh, I'm going to give coaching a C minus. And I know you mentioned that we'll get to our overall grades in a second. So uh, Chris, what do you think? These aren't going to be good grades. So offense, I mean, I'd probably go D plus because, I mean, I'm leaning maybe a C minus just because the run game is, was just so good. Uh, I'm really high on that, but I'm, I'm just so disappointed in the play of, of this offense just in general and Anthony Richardson this year. So I'm going to say D plus for the defense. Just a shame they regressed so much. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm happy they got the free turnovers. They still they only got one sack, which is another thing we haven't really talked a lot about. This team just hasn't gone to the quarterback a lot yet this year. So I'd probably go C minus. Just I'll give them the credit that pick six is like the bonus right there, you know, but just not good. Very run-of-the-mill, very below average. Special teams, you know, I'd give it a solid B. I like that we're finally just giving up on the kick return game and we're just going to take the touchback because before it was killing us with some of those penalties. So, and then um, Adam Mahalik, is that how you say it? Mahalik? Adam Mahalik. Mahalik. I got to figure out my fellow 813 guy. Um, You know, he seems like a really good kicker. So, you know, just very reliable at any range. I know he only had a chip shot last night, about 31 yards, but he seems like he's, you know, won the job and he, he puts the ball in the back of the end zone. I don't see a lot of teams get returns on him. And uh, so I'm happy with what I've seen thus far from him, but yeah, uh, overall just, and then coaching. Uh, yeah, it's, it's bad. I, I'll give it right where the rest of the team is D plus, they they have a lot to work on as a staff. I, I think I, I tweeted it out um, last night after the game, a little, little upset, but I basically said everybody in that room, that staff needs to take a good hard look in that war room, and they need to figure this out because 
We're not asking for a championship this year, maybe even next year, but we sure as heck need to start seeing some progress. And we need to start seeing these guys be put in a position to succeed and progress as players in the program that are here. So uh, the coaching, while it was fantastic in week one, took a big step back last week, took another step back this week. They have got to improve. So I'd say a D, D plus, um, and then we'll get to our overall. It's probably right around the same neighborhood, though, of what I've been saying. <laughs> Y'all are nice. Offense, F. It's not a you know three or a five percent out of a hundred. The offensive line did do its job. The running game was good. That alone is worth you know 40, 50 points or so. Anthony Richardson was just awful. There's there's just not another way to put it. He was awful and he nearly lost us the game last night by checking into that play where he's throwing a back shoulder fade route. That's by the way, a line drive, not even a ball with air under it that you can allow your, your superior athlete at at the wide receiver position to go up and beat the supposedly inferior talented South Florida defensive back. That that's a failure of of a performance. If you, if you put that performance out there against any team in the sec, not named Vanderbilt, that game is a loss 100 times out of 100. So it's not the kind of grade where Dustin kind of coined this description, but not the kind of grade where you have to drop the class, change the major, you know, just quit college altogether. It's not like a single digit grade out of a hundred, but it's probably- Todd Grantham. No. Well, all right. So we, no, Todd Grantham was just auto F automatic F in 2021 for every game that he coached and Florida gave up more than 400 yards of offense. The defense got an automatic F because he shouldn't have been back in 21. But anyway, no, it's not the offense. Isn't that it's probably about a 55 out of a hundred type of F where, you know, couple things you do right here, there Richardson made a couple more nice throws. If he'd had a couple of nice runs, you probably get over that passing threshold. Uh, But no, that was a failure of performance. So F defense F again, same exact deal. That's a failure of performance. Jalen Kimber's pick six helps. That's worth, you know, it's worth 20, 30 points. It was a big help for us. The fact that we did force a couple of other turnovers definitely helped. But again, you got to consider the level of the opposition when you're doing these grades. That's not a good performance. That performance does not beat any team in the SEC, not named Vanderbilt. It does not beat FSU. I don't know that it beats South Florida if you play them again in a couple of weeks. So, I mean, South Florida had, I think, 270 yards of offense in the first half. Guys, they shouldn't be getting 270 yards of offense in a game. That opponent shouldn't have that many yards in twice as much time as that. Given the caliber of athletes they have, I know, I said it earlier, I know they have some Power 5 transfers. They have a lot of Power 5 transfers. That Offense shouldn't have 270 yards against us in four quarters, let alone two. So that's a failure. And then there are all the reasons why all those yards got piled up because guys were freelancing. They didn't know their assignments. They still couldn't tackle. They looked lost. They were screaming at each other. They were pointing around. What do I do? Where am I supposed to go? I don't want to know this not my position. That's not my spot, whatever. Meanwhile, the ball is snapped and the play is being run. That cannot happen. That is a Failure. 
on the defensive performance. The pick six is the reason that the defense gets a 55 out of 100 instead of a 25 out of 100. That one play, which, by the way, was a bad throw by Jerry Bohannon. If he puts that ball more on the inside and doesn't lead the receiver more, that's probably a catch and then an immediate tackle by Kimber for a six or seven yard game. That's because of a USF mistake that that was a pick six, not because Kimber made a good play, which he did, but he would not have had the chance to make a good play if not for a bad throw. So another F special teams, I'll give him a neutral grade of a, of a B. They didn't do anything terrible. They didn't kick off out of bounds. They didn't get a kick blocked. They didn't snap it over the punter's head like Kentucky did last week. The field goal execution was clean. Crawshaw was good as a punter. They had some decent kick coverage, I thought, or decent punt coverage. South Florida not being able to get the ball out for the kicker isn't really Florida's grade to give, so I'll leave that out of it. And, yeah, I mean, they, they were fine. So, B, coaching, F, Napier. Here's what I was alluding to earlier with my other major bone to pick with him. If you're going to call a timeout to ice the kicker, you have got to get the timeout before the ball is snapped so the kicker cannot get a practice run. There is no other place on the field or in the stadium where a kicker can simulate a real field goal attempt practice kicking into a net is not the same thing as kicking against live real legitimate goalposts which he gets a chance to do if the snap gets off before you call a timeout which if he misses that practice attempt doesn't count but he gets a free warm-up attempt if he misses that he knows how to correct himself if he pushes it wide right he knows okay that's where not to kick it we got to aim the next one towards the middle more he kicks it left. Okay, now let's end the next one to the right. He gets a free practice run and a free gauge of how accurate he is so he can adjust the second time. You have got to get that timeout called before the ball is snapped so he doesn't get that opportunity. Or just don't call a timeout when you're winning by 14 points and let him kick just normally so he doesn't get that opportunity anyway. So... Then you throw on top of that the play calling, the fact that the defensive guys still didn't know where they were supposed to be. Coaching has to bear some responsibility in that, you know, when 11 players or when eight of 11 players don't know where they're supposed to be. Play calling, having Richardson throw the ball that many times, not running the ball four straight times when you're inside the 10 yard line. That's just not excusable. And then there's the larger issue of, as we talked about earlier, or as you guys talked about earlier, not giving guys the opportunity to do their what they're supposed to do, not letting them play to their strengths. So F, F, F. And then the B for special teams. So guys, overall grades, Dustin, you first. What do we got? 62. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Chris, go for it. Oh, 65. Yeah. I mean, I can see y'all are out of words. I mean, I think we all are. There's not much more to say. Uh, 58. Because it's a failure. It's a failure of a performance. And it's only because South Florida can't snap the ball and get the ball down for a kicker that we won the game last night. And because of a bad throw by Jerry Bohannon. Still a good play by Kimber, but that's a South Florida mistake. Any other opponent we face this year, aside from maybe Eastern Washington and Vanderbilt, we play like that, we lose 100 times out of 100. Yeah. You're not wrong, Neil. Nope. We got improved, and we, we say it 
every every pod we do, and it's our brand in all kinds of weather, and really in all kinds of weather, we all stick together. And right now, we are squarely in a storm, but there is light at the end of the tunnel, and that is a, a big part because Billy Napier is building the right process for success. Has he been the best at coaching? No. I mean, there's so many things that he could do to improve, things that we've already talked about on the pod. But a good reason for uh, our faith in that success is what this staff is doing on the recruiting front. And before we go, Neil, I think you met somebody very important on the recruiting front for Florida. You want to talk about that real quick? Yes, I did, Dustin. I did indeed. Katie Turner was in the new UF facility, which I got to take a tour of yesterday. Thank you, Gator Collective, for that. She was, I mean, she was there. She was hanging out. There was, it was a big recruiting weekend. We recognized each other. We walked up to each other. We shook hands and just started talking recruiting. And, and, and this is why, this is why when I say, you know, F, F, F this year is just, so far looking inexcusably bad, but this is why I'm so high in the future, despite how terrible Florida's looked the last two weeks. And that is because Florida, I have, I have every reason to believe there is a solid foundation in place for the future. We saw even this weekend after a horrendous performance, Florida just landed a four-star running back commit after a terrible performance by the Gators. Cause the atmosphere was great. The coaches are great at building relationships and they have been able to communicate their plan to these kids and to their families in a way that, that they can relate to. Katie Turner is a master at that. She's a master communicator. She's a master relationship builder. She's just very personable. She's kind. She's she's funny. She can relate to kids very easily. There, there's just such a strong infrastructure in place. And as Billy Napier himself has said, it's a people business. It's about people. It's about the people that you trust, the people you put in positions to do what they do best. We'd like to see that more on the field, but we see it off the field enough where I can sit back and say, okay, Florida's going to be okay in the long run because recruits are not going to be able to resist this new facility. The people that they're going to work with on a consistent basis, fellow star athletes that they'll get to compete with in practice and compete with on the field and on game days on a consistent basis, it's going to be okay. But as I said last week, after the Kentucky loss, I'm still pretty certain Florida's going seven and five or eight and four this year. This is going to take time. Guys, I said those exact same words after Kentucky. This is going to take time. Billy Napier has said as much from the day he was hired. It's going to take time. You know, I want to point something out, too, that I think I said to a couple people, and that is Kirby Smart in his first year lost to Vanderbilt at home. Nick Saban lost to UL of Monroe in his first year at home. Last night could have been that for Billy Napier, except we won it. We didn't lose it. But coaches in their first year do have, like we keep talking about, they have growing pains. And I'm not saying that Billy – I hope Billy Napier becomes those guys. This isn't me trying to make a comparison to say eventually he'll get there. But that being said – those two coaches, elite coaches, had to lay a foundation in order for them to get to the championship level that they were at. And it took a little bit of time. Some people a little bit faster than others. Obviously, Kirby, Kirby and Saban got 
uh, they got there pretty much in their second, third years, excuse me, but coaches are going to have setbacks and there's going to be growing pains and the fan base is going to be frustrated. But like you said, the infrastructure, the people are in place to make it happen. We just have to sit back and trust the process. Yeah. And that's, that's where we leave it guys, because I, I mean, there's a very high likelihood that next weekend results in a loss to a team that we have dominated for the better part of the last two decades. It's going to suck. I detest that fan base. We're probably going to lose to them. We're probably going to have to deal with it. Just trust the process. Florida will be okay. I am positive about the fact that it will be okay. And I, there is a history of me saying when I don't agree with the coaching hire and I say otherwise, it was the case with Mike White. If you're going back a few years, it was the case with Will Muschamp. I was a teenager then when he was hired, but I could tell from the day he was hired, something's off about this guy. And I didn't hold back. And I said as much. I was with SB Nation back then. Point is, I'll say when I don't like a coach. If I don't like the idea of someone leading the Florida program, I'll say as much. I have, and I always will. I trust Napier. It's just going to take time. So please just be patient. We're in this for the long haul. It is a multi-year fix. We will get there. I just don't think it's going to be this year. Yeah, Neil, if you're taking title suggestions, I think trust the process would be a great title for this podcast. With that said, I think we should uh, wrap it up. Um, unfortunately, I'm not sure that performance merits a, uh, a super exuberant go Gators from me, but there is light at the end of the tunnel, as we said. And for that, uh, go Gators. We, we yeah. won. And we have a long season to go, but we are two and one. And the best part about being two and one is the opportunity to be three and one. <laughs> yeah. Well, you said that you're not sure that the performance merits your, your loud and boisterous go Gators. Well, I am sure that it does not, but this is the last thing we're going to say. We're going to end the pod on this. Florida could have easily lost a game. They probably should have lost a game. But they didn't. They didn't. They're two and one. They survive. They live to see another day as a one-loss team instead of a multi-loss team. And all we can do now is just hope and pray that the team learns from it, moves forward, and does the laundry list of work that they have in front of them to go from being the team we saw the last couple of weeks to being a team that can at least put up a fight for the SEC East. So with that said, if y'all enjoyed our show, I know you probably didn't enjoy the the contents of what we were discussing, but if you thought we did a good job, please give us a five-star review and a nice rating on Apple Podcasts. Definitely would appreciate that. Until next time, guys, we'll be back in a few days with the Tennessee preview, but until then, stay safe, stay healthy. I'm finally taking a break from traveling all over the southeastern United States. I'll enjoy that so we can get back to the normal recording and release schedule in the next couple of weeks, but until then, Go Gators in all kinds of weather. We'll all stick together for F-L-O-R-I-D-A. See you next time.